Hello, everybody, and welcome to The GOAT, the show where we debate the biggest questions in sports and let you pick the winner. We've chosen topics that we've been arguing about since about fifth grade. Me and Jeff have gone back and forth for 30-some years, maybe a little less. I don't know. I'm getting old, so I don't remember. But we've been going back and forth with this stuff. Yeah, so, you know, we have got together maybe a couple of years ago, Dan, it's been a while, right? Like it's been, it's we, been a while. Yeah. We were talking about something and, and a comment about uh, something a commentator said on one of those shows on ESPN. And we both kind of just came to the conclusion, like we should do this. We have plenty of thoughts on this and watching some of these guys on ESPN, we feel like we could probably do it better. So here we are. Absolutely. So we're going to give it a shot. We hope you like it. I mean, this is our first episode, so we're going to adjust as we go, and we appreciate any feedback that you can give us so we can make it more enjoyable for you. But at the base of it, we just want to argue. <laughs> Arguing, my wife tells me, it's what I do best. Yeah, and I'm going to find out. I mean, I already know. He's a good debater, <laughs> but uh, let's see how he does when he's on camera, right? Yeah, so it's true. Well, Folks, we have a specific format that we're going to follow to keep some rules on this because we wanted, you know, we didn't want to go on off the rails every time we got together. So this is how the format is going to work for every episode. All right. So for first off, before we get into the rules, if you have topics that you want to suggest to us to argue about, to debate, I guess would be the better way to say it for future episodes, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to start. And you can find us at Goat Sports Pod. That's Goat Sports Pod pod you can also email us we set up an email at goatpodcast at hotmail.com that's right i said hotmail don't hate i know nobody has a hotmail account in 2021 but i wanted that name and it was already taken on every other platform but hotmail had it because nobody uses it that's great so those are the two uh ways that you can connect with us and give us ideas for future topics so all right let's talk about the format we're going to start each show with a uh, flip of the coin and that will determine who goes first to present their pick whoever wins the coin toss they're going to present their choice and then they'll kind of go into who their their decision is for the greatest of all time and they're going to make their case to you once that person who wins the coin toss makes their case then the other person's going to go and they're going to present their choice and their argument and then we're both going to get the chance to respond to each other's points in what we call the cross-examination round so the person who lost the initial coin toss is always going to get the last word. We feel that's kind of fair. So the person that starts doesn't finish last, kind of like a first seed, eighth seed kind of a thing going, but we're evening it out a little bit more. So that's how we're going to debate each other to make sure this doesn't descend into anarchy. And then the day of each episode, after it comes out, we're going to put a poll up on social media and on our episode webpage, and you're going to get a chance to vote for the next week until the next episode on who you think won the debate. So we'll list the topic and we'll say, you know, vote for G uh, Jeff or Dan, and then you click and make a decision and that will help us know who won. So we get bragging rights depending each week on how we do. I'm going to, I'm going to brag a lot. I'm going to brag a lot. I know people help me. Even if Dan wins, listen, let's just have a minute. You, me, you know, <laughs> audience and Jeff, listen, if Dan, does better like still vote for me okay because i can't stand this guy texting me like five times a day every week telling me that he won that's just it's oh, between you and me okay if i win i wake up every day at 5 a.m you will be the first person i text i know i'm gonna have to block you after like the first episode <laughs> i'll find a way that's what i'm worried about i'm gonna have pigeons showing up at my door with notes on them we'll see how this goes folks so so that is how the format's gonna work our topic for today is the greatest NBA coach of all time. So before we get into who we chose for that accolade, we have a section we're going to do before we jump in every week called goat picks. The purpose of this section is we want to be able to share with you some products or services that we use in our own personal lives that we enjoy or benefits us in some way for you to check out and maybe add to your own life. And by just looking at it and maybe making a purchase, if you like our suggestions, we get a commission based on you purchasing said products and services. So it's an easy way for you to support the show, give us a little money back so we can reinvest it in each episode and make this better as time goes on. So for our first inaugural section of Goat Picks, Dan, what do you want to share with the audience? Oh man, I'm sharing my one of my top supplements. I, you know, people who don't know me know I'm a, a health 
buff. Like this is something that I love and I'm passionate about. Um, so the first uh, one is called O Nutrition. It is a certified uh, organic super cell superfood. Um, I don't know about you guys, but someone like me, I kind of forget to fit in all my veggies and all my fruit. You know, I'm more of a carnivore than the herbivore. So I always lack on fiber and, and vegetables and fruit, but this is a superfood. It has sea moss. Um, it's got um, uh, iris sea moss, bladderwort, uh, burdock root, a, a bunch of stuff. It's going to help your thyroid. It's going to help detox you, boost immunity, joint support, anti-aging, um, you name it. Um, it's going to have uh, uh, all your vitamins, A, B, C, D, and K, um, it's going to help you so much. It's going to supplement that it is not just a vitamin pill, but it is actually um, these, these superfoods ground up in pill format so that you get your daily needs. So yeah, that's what I, I'm supporting. You guys need to get this, especially if you don't get enough of your veggies and fruits. All right, there you go. Excellent choice. I didn't realize that there were that many vitamins we need in our body. So uh, I'm glad we're on a podcast. If you join into the video one, you'll see exactly what I mean, because obviously I'm not getting all my vitamins in, but I'm working on it. Started CrossFit. So, you know, bear with me. We're gonna have to start taking that, Dan. Yeah, you so, should. For my choice, I am uh, suggesting this product called the Lark Bottle. I just bought one of these a month ago. I live in an urban area. I'm constantly trying to drink more water, but the issue that I run into a lot of times is that I have to get water from places and I don't know if it's necessarily purified. Tap water is not really an option here. Water fountains, you don't exactly know how it's being filtered. So the Lark bottle is basically this really nice water bottle that I can carry around. I can fill it up and it uses infrared technology to sanitize the water in 60 seconds. Oh, man. How neat is that? Yo, I can't believe they've come this far. I remember we just drank from puddles, man. Oh, it's amazing, man. Like this thing not only will sanitize your water, it keeps things cool. You can keep water in it for up to 24 hours and it keeps it ice cold. And it can also keep certain things hot as well. Say if you want to carry hot water around for, I guess if you live in a cold weather climate and you need to, to make some tea, I'm not sure. But uh, you do have that option. It insulates on top of that, there's no BPA and it's plastic free. So you don't have to worry about those chemicals getting into your system. It works on a USB charger. So all you got to do is plug it in for 30 minutes and you unplug it and last you mine ran on a week the last time I used it. So it gives me peace of mind when I'm walking around to know that I have a bottle that's going to clean my water, no matter where I'm getting it from the source. So I can keep hydrating and feel safe at the same time. So oh. check out the Lark bottle. I highly recommend them if you live in an area, especially where you need to make sure your water is safe before drinking. Oh, so for man, Daniel that's, and that's... my picks, those are both going to be in the show notes. Like I said, if you click the link, take a look at it and decide to purchase it, we get a small commission for that. It helps the show and hopefully it helps you live a better life. Yeah, so no, that is, I'm going to need one of those, um, especially nowadays where, you know, we have these virus and everything going on. I'm just going to want to have the cleanest, cleanest source of water possible. You never know what's going to be in the water that you put in. Dude, this is like a COVID godsend, this thing. <laughs> it, it's, it is amazing to me that somebody thought of a, an easy way, a reliable way to make this happen. You know, I've seen products for camping and it takes like, you know, 30 minutes to get like a yeah. drink, you know, like a sip of water. This does it so quickly and you've got fresh water, you know, eight to 12 ounces ready to go. It's, it's, it's worth it. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, check out those products. And that concludes our section here of goat picks. So now it's time to go into the main round, our main debate, the heavyweight sections coming up. Our topic for today, the greatest NBA coach of all time, Phil Jackson, Daniel's choice versus Red Arbuck, my choice who wins you're going to get to decide. So this is the part in the show where we do a coin toss. I have on my screen a digital coin because we are separated by thousands of miles, Dan and I. <laughs> and uh, Dan, I want you to call it in the air, heads or tails. Tails never fails. Tails it is. Oh, man. You see, you should have called it, Jeff, because there's, there's, this, is, this is not a debate. I've been... I've been uh, letting Jeff know that this is not a debate. This is just a matter of statistics. <laughs> and the statistics never lie. 
And by the way, folks, I'm going to be a gentleman. We, we decided when we formatted the rules that when the other side is presenting their case, that we would very kindly avoid any coughing, swearing, interjecting, <laughs> throwing chairs at the screen, anything like that. We're gentlemen. So we're going to present a gentlemanly argument. So I'm going to be real honest. That is going to be the most difficult part for me um, to stay quiet when I think someone is wrong. Well, we all have to grow in some way, sir. So uh, <laughs> let this be yours. <laughs> all right. All right. So, um, all right. Phil Jackson. Well, like I said earlier, uh, the numbers do not lie. Right. When we think about someone who's the greatest, um, it is not just the impact or 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 generational influence someone has. No, because when we're talking about the greatest coach, we're talking about literally who has the best statistics in coaching in the NBA as far as history is concerned. So Philip Douglas Jackson. Um, also known as Phil Action or the Zen Master, um, depending on who's calling him, whatever. Um, born September 17th. I share that birthday. So automatically, he's a great man for being a Virgo. So let's just let's just throw that out there. For you guys who heard that, September 17th, if you want to send me something for my birthday, I'm plugging that in right now. Anyway, back to Phil. <clears throat> Phil Jackson has 1,640 games under his belt 1155 wins and 485 losses that is the percentage of 70 he has a win percentage of 70 which is the highest in nba history so that alone puts him as the most winning coach in nba history not total wins but winning percentages um he's got 333 playoff games of a record of 229 with 104 losses with a percentage of 68.8, which makes, let's round up, 69% winning percentage in the playoffs. Um, he's got a coach of the year. Um, he's got 11 championships with three three-peats and then a, a double. He has the greatest win percentage in the NBA with red being 13th as many percentages um, with 221 games less than Phil Jackson. Um, he's number one in playoff wins uh, with the 229 versus the 99 of red. He's third in playoff win percentages. He's never had a season under 500. Um, he, with, with any coach over 500 games or more, he's the only coach to win 10 championships. In fact, He's got the most championships in any North American sports ever in all North American sports. All right. Um, in his second season as head coach, he became an NBA champion. It didn't take him six years. It didn't take him five years. Second season, he became a champion. He also coached in the CBA. For guys who don't know, that is the Continental Basketball Association, where there too, he won a championship also another coach of the year now people will always say well he had michael jordan he had kobe bryant he had shaquille o'neal you're right arguably well the greatest player of all time arguably we're not that's not the debate arguably the second greatest shooting guard of all time and arguably top three greatest centers of all time so Yes, he had amazing players. But guess what? He had seven Hall of Famers only in his career versus the 11, yes, the 11 future Hall of Famers that Red coached, all right? On top of that, he had people to deal with like Dennis Rodman. He had to control the worm. He had people like, Ron Artest, also known as Meta World Peace, to deal with. These are people who weren't easily coached, but for some reason followed their coach. All right. He had to deal with 
the greatest players in the NBA and having to deal with egos, putting them together and making them work as a team. He made the triangle offense very debated as an off, if, if, a good offense, just as is. Um, not a fan, just throwing it out there. Not a fan of the triangle, but he made it work. And he made it work with two of the greatest scorers of their time, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. The triangle offense, for those who don't know, is not made for ISO players. Yet he made, he made and coached ISO players to buy into a system that's not made for ISO basketball. He elevated Michael Jordan's game for being just a pure scorer to someone who started averaging six assists along with his scoring. He, he elevated those games also to, for those players, people like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant to be all defensive first team. Phil Jackson, when you come with just numbers, nothing that's outside of basketball, the numbers do not lie. On top of that, Phil Jackson had to contest against his manager who was trying to out him. I'm sure everyone saw the last dance. If you haven't seen it, I'm plugging that in too. Go watch the last dance. His manager is trying to out him and he's still able to coach and win championships, all right? There was a time where he had two, three Hall of Famers at one time. So people always say the Bulls were one of the greatest teams ever assembled. But Phil Jackson also had more teams to compete against. His winning, his, he didn't have to compete against a handful of teams. The amount of competition that Phil Jackson had to go against was much greater than that of um, my uh, partner over here's selection. The competition was greater. The athleticism was greater. The adversity was greater. He didn't have just one team to deal with. He had many. So, my friends, as I conclude my argument, at the end of the day, we need to look at the facts, right? If, if, if this is a courtroom, we look at the facts at hand, not anything allegorically, nothing that can be placed outside of basketball, but just numbers. The numbers do not lie. And with that, I thank you guys for your vote in advance. And I'm sorry, Jeff. Statistics tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I pass it on to you, Jeff. Daniel, I'd like to thank you for that. Uh, not so feeble attempt at trying to position Phil Jackson as the greatest NBA coach. And you made some fair points. I will give you that. And uh, I think some credit is due. But look, you are making the case that the greatest coach in NBA history should be all about the numbers. And while I'm going to give you some numbers about why Red should deserve that, there are other intangibles I want to point out to the fine people listening to this show. Because when we talk about the greatest, we're not just talking about the numbers. We're talking about the impact you leave on the team that you're in charge of and on the league as a whole. Now, I'm going to give you three reasons, Dan. Three, why Red Auerbach deserves to be known as the greatest coach in NBA history. Let's break them down. Number one, reason number one. Red built the greatest consecutive dynasty in sports, and he did it from nothing, built it from the ground up. Let me explain why. Red took over the Celtics in 1950. The year before he stepped in, the Celtics went 22 and 46. They were horrible. The team had never won more than 25 games before Red stepped in. They were the laughing stock of professional basketball. They only had one playoff appearance up until 1950, and that was a first-round blowout loss to the Chicago Stags. On top of that, the team was broke. The franchise had no money. They could barely keep the players that they did have on the roster, and fans were really worried that the team was going to get relocated. That's the situation that Red stepped into, a dumpster fire. So he comes in into 1950, and he inherits this team where there's one guy the offense, everything runs through one guy, a guy named Ed McCauley, who was a future Hall of Famer. He decides to completely throw that out 
and say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to run through one player anymore. We're going to play defense first. We're going to do full team fast break basketball. And that's the kind of uh, style that we're going to play. And just by making that change, that dumpster fire turned into something incredibly beautiful, Dan. In his first year in 1950, they went from 22 wins to 39 wins. So for the folks keeping score at home, that's a 17 win increase. And they went to the semifinals. This is year one. Okay. He's been through one draft, one free agency, I guess you could say, even though that wasn't really that much of a thing during the time already is making an impact on this squad for the next five years. The Celtics make the playoffs. They get to the first round, they get to the second round, they get to the conference finals. They're getting closer and closer to that championship. And remember they started off with nothing horrible situation. They finally win the title in 1967. Like I said, they lost in 1968 and then they went on to win the next eight championships, Daniel eight in a row. Okay. The Yankees won five in a row. The Canadians won four in a row in hockey. The Bulls, they won three in a row and lost one season and then won another three. But no one else has done it. No one's won eight consecutive in a row. It's never been done for that long. Red's the guy that did it. So reason number one why Red deserves NBA greatest coach, he built the longest consecutive dynasty in sports, and he did it from nothing. Didn't inherit anything that helped him get to that goal. Reason number two. Red's success was built on the system that he built, not on the players that he inherited. So look, Red Arbach is the guy who popularized so many things that we don't really even think about today, but they're so common. And that's the reason why he was successful as coach. He revolutionized the position and how to win in the NBA. Let me give you some examples of that. Like I said, he stepped into a dumpster fire in 1950. He decided instead of running through one or two players, he was going to build something from the ground up. And he did that through the draft. So he was the first player, or excuse me, the first coach to really take that approach and say, we're going to grow through our draft picks and develop them. And there were reasons why a lot of NBA teams didn't do this during the time, but this approach was revolutionary for the time period. And he was very good at drafting. Just to give you some names that he drafted in the first decade as Celtics coach during this eight consecutive titles, Bill Sharman, Hall of Famer, Bill Russell, Hall of Famer, Tom Heinsohn, Hall of Famer, Casey Jones, Hall of Famer. In fact, 14 of his draft picks over this time period went on to be Hall of Famers. He developed these guys and they turned into the greatest players in league history. He committed to building a system based on his picks and developing them and cultivating their skill sets. And he did something unheard of during the time period, just to show you how committed he was to this draft growth system. He traded a future hall of famer, Ed McCauley. He traded him for a draft pick, which he used to take Bill Russell. And at the time that was unbelievably upsetting to a lot of fans that they would trade this guy who was a lock, who was the team cornerstone for an unknown player, even though he was certainly, you know, a lot of people were excited about Bill Russell. So reason number two, the system that he built is why he found his success, not the players. Oh, I have some other points I want to make on that too. I'm sorry. I lost my notes here. So yeah, number one, he popularized building through the draft. Number two, he was the first coach to build strength and conditioning into a team's actual system of being able to improve. So he started using the fast break. He started using high defensive pressure systems and he needed players who were in top shape. So he was the guy who started saying, you know what? No smoking in the locker room, no drinking before games. You have to participate in daily conditioning programs. And this was something again, that no one else was doing. And he instituted this to be able to have the most fit players in the league. Tell me which team Dan doesn't have a system like that nowadays, hypothetically. Just to give you an example of what the Celtics looked like to opposing teams during this time, I found this quote from Dr. George Pransky. He's a sports physiologist. This is what he had to say after talking to several players who played for the Celtics during this time. Quote, the Boston Celtics were renowned for being the best conditioned and toughest team in the NBA. It was highly noticeable that the Celtics would leave opponents during the fourth period and close out games with an envious freshness 
no signs of tired legs on the jump shots or lack of speed or power on the court. In fact, their awareness, concentration, and accuracy on the fast break, their trademark in the last stages of the games became a disturbing distraction for all opponents. There's several players who went on record. Tom Sanders was a player during this time, and he said the Celtics were the best condition and the toughest squads that he had ever played on. So he built around the draft, popularized that. He instituted strength and conditioning systems for players. He pioneered that. And number three, reason number three, he popularized team play in terms of the systems that he built. Remember, up until this point, if you look at the NBA, it was all about getting the ball down low to one or two guys, and they would just put it up. So George Mike and Bob Pettit, Ed McCauley, those guys were the system, the style that worked in the NBA. Red comes in and he takes a sledgehammer to that. And he decides, I'm going to build a full team, each with their own specialties, to be able to work together to win a championship. So look, just to give you some examples, Bob Cousy, he brought on. Bob Cousy was one of the best players in the 1950s. He was known as the Hardwood Houdini. He added around him Bill Sharman, who was one of the best sharpshooters of the 1950s to complement Cousy's floor general skills. Then he adds Bill Russell, who's the defensive anchor and the rebounder. And then he adds Tommy Heinsohn and Casey Jones, and they're the athletic complementary pieces around him. It wasn't just about one player anymore. He got rid of that system, remember, when he traded Ed McCauley. So now he's got all these complementary pieces that he's putting together, these specialists, to make a winning squad. On top of that, he was the guy that popularized role players, like the sixth man coming off the bench to keep the momentum going when the stars went to the bench. He was the guy that used veterans to be able to fill those slots. He signed John Havlicek, Frank Ramsey, Don Nelson, all these guys other teams had let go or were willing to trade because they thought these guys can't play a full game anymore starting. What do I need them for? And Red brought these guys on and said, these are my sixth and seventh men off the bench. They're going to keep the game going. They're going to keep the momentum up. Again, pioneering concept. Red was all about team play. And that is something, again, that was pioneering for the time period. So that's number two. I just want to recap here. Number one, we talked about how it's important that we realize that Red stepped into a really messy situation and built the greatest consecutive dynasty in NBA history. And his success came from the systems that he built and popularized. He was a pioneer. And the third reason I'm going to give you, most importantly, he left an impact on the NBA that was greater than any other coach. And that needs to be taken into account outside of the numbers, absolutely. He changed how coaches built winning teams. He focused on defense, conditioning, player skill sets, psychological edges. There's some fun stories about Red as a coach. Like for instance, he would turn off the hot water in visitor locker rooms during playoff games, just to <laughs> give them cold showers before they were going onto the court. Uh, he would trash talk coaches and opposing players while they were on the coach uh, to try and get in their heads. And this is something we don't tie into red a lot, but he received more fines and was ejected more often than any other coach in NBA history. So that was a tactic that he used very uh, effectively. And he never missed the playoffs during his time as a coach. So for those three reasons, red Arbuck definitely should be considered the greatest NBA coach of all time. So before we get to our rebuttal stage, we're going to take a quick commercial break, halftime, if you will, to hear right. a word from our sponsors. Awesome. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The GOAT. Thank you for sticking with us. We're having a great conversation, a debate, a lively uh, back and forth about who is the greatest NBA coach of all time. Is it Red Arbach or is it Phil Jackson? The gentleman sitting next to me digitally, Daniel, has made his uh. case that... Phil Jackson is that individual. I have made my initial case that Red Arbach should be considered for that. So we move into the next stage where you've had a chance to hear our arguments. Now we have a chance to question or maybe poke holes in some of the points that were made in order to help you see the light based on uh, what we've presented so far. So Dan, since you started and I went, you get to go first for this round. Go ahead, lay it on me. What did you think of my argument? What do you have to say about Red after my uh, so eloquent speech about that? <laughs> uh, let me tell you, I had to mute myself first of all because if um, I had to mute myself because if I hadn't muted myself, I know that I would have tried to stop you at least 
20 times in 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 your in your presentation but it was good i thought it was a it was a good presentation um thank you, you. you i felt like you skewed the facts a little bit only not that the facts were wrong but you misled um the people for instance the first misleading that you guys heard was that he basically coached 14 uh 13 14 hall of famers um that is incorrect he coached 11 he helped draft three let's just make this clear um we have we have google for this you can google it right now jeff so let's just make this clear which is still amazing he coached 11 hall of famers so that's not let's i am not trying to say that is not an amazing feat because we're putting links in the show notes so i'm not going to let you question my integrity on my stats no no so he so he was in charge of 14 but when he stepped down as the coach there was another three that he helped draft so yes he was in charge of 14 so that is not in question but he wasn't coaching them the the time that bill russell stepped down there you go larry bird being one of these people just throwing it out there so larry bird was still under not directly under the great red so no so and red no one is denying that Red was a trailblazer. Um, he implemented organized basketball. It wasn't just people playing in their backyard, throwing it up, who's stronger, who can faster, who can shoot better. No, that's not what it was. You're right. He was a trailblazer. He pioneered system basketball. But just because you are a pioneer doesn't mean that you are the best. You are important. You are pivotal. You can be considered a cornerstone, a foundation, but you are not the best because you are a pioneer. That's like saying the guy who created basketball is the greatest basketball player of all time. Absolutely not. Trash. He would not be the greatest basketball player of all time. He created it, though. He would be the pioneer of basketball, would he not? He would be the foundation of basketball, but he would not be considered the best. So, yes, I agree. Red is a trailblazer, an amazing trailblazer at that. Um, picking draft picks that were unlikely, um, putting you know uh, the Negro player up front and center. So yes, I I think Red is amazing, but I love how he points out this whole playoff thing. But people got to remember from nineteen. 19- uh 1951 to 1956 red had a losing playoff record 10 and 17 so while yes he took them to the playoff they got worked that's just what it is don't get me wrong he had young players he still had to build a team so i'm not taking anything away from him with that because it is hard to win championships when you have young players but at the same time it is easier to win championships when the competition's less. Like you said, he was a pioneer, a trailblazer, the first to put in the system, which means that every team he played had no system. No system. So who is he playing? Now, I'm not going to take away. There's a lot of Hall of Famers he played. But like Jeff said, there was no system involved. People were not in shape. He was not playing the best of the best athletes. He was playing the best of the best players. They weren't athletes yet. So he was the first to put a system. People weren't ready for it. So yes, he won eight consecutive. But the question could be asked, now this is a what if. What if Michael Jordan never retired? Now it's a what if. We can't say. But is eight consecutive in a row with a weaker league, with less teams and less competition, less games to play, that amazing? For the time, yes. But if you won eight now, let's say you won seven now. If you won seven now in the current day NBA stage, that would be more impressive than the eight he won back then because there's more teams, better competition. As time goes on, athletes advance, the game advances, competition gets better. So the fact of the matter is that when Phil took the NBA job and took and won a championship in his second year, the league was better, the competition was better, the amount of teams he had to play against was greater, all right? The second thing is, is that Red had seven seasons before he had his first championship. Jeff made the point. He had to build stuff from the ground up. He didn't inherit players. He made that point. You know why he made that point? Because Phil Jackson got Michael Jordan. And he did. He did. And I know why he made the point. Because Michael Jordan, again, it's Michael Jordan, his airness. You know? So that's why he made the point. And I, and I, and I, I felt that right in my heart. 
But at the same time, when Phil Jackson took Michael Jordan, Jordan didn't believe in a system. He believed in, give me the ball. I'm dropping 40 points. We're going to win. Phil Jackson made him believe in a triangle offense that did not make him be the full focal point, even though the offense did run through him and Scottie Pippen, but it also ran through the big man. See, if you watched basketball in the 90s and you watched the Bulls play, yes, Michael Jordan took the majority of the shots, but that ball moved around until it got to where Michael Jordan needed to be. It was system basketball. So yes, Red might have started system basketball. The triangle offense perfected system basketball. Now, Phil Jackson was not the creator of, of, of this of triangle. So let's just make that clear. He just happened to have two of the greatest shooting guards for some reason is never the point of a triangle offense. Let's just make this clear. Triangle offense, focal point is always the big man and then out to a shooter. It just so happened the ball moves around so well that it allows anybody who gets the ball to be in a, a one-on-one position. And if there's a double team coming, someone's going to be open if the rotation moves correctly. So Phil Jackson made, again, ISO players buy into his system. So Tex Winter implemented system. Phil Jackson perfected a system, not the system, because he didn't have the greatest offense of all time, but he perfected a system and made his team buy into it. Um, Jeff also made the point that he built a system, he, he built his team on a system and not players. Um, this was another dig at Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan because they were the best teams on, on, on that team. And then uh, I believe in 1958, the Celtics had um, four or five guys averaging anywhere between 18 and 22 points. It's amazing. 18 and 22 points. You have four or five guys averaging that. And that's, 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 that's a great thing, but it also indicates the, um, the amount of talent you have on that team. Does it not? There's a point in time, I believe, that he had four Hall of Famers playing at the same time on the starting lineup. Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson, had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. Who else? All right. Let's fast forward. Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant. Now, he also had Karl Malone, Gary Payton at the tail end of their careers. Um, so if you could say they're Hall of Famers, but they weren't Hall of Famers because of Phil or anything he, they did there. But Derek Fisher, is he a Hall of Famer? Rick Fox, is he a Hall of Famer? We'll go back to the Bulls. Ron Harper, John Paxson, Steve Kerr, shooters, not Hall of Famers. You know? So while, again, Phil did have Hall of Famers on his team, it is his system that made him succeed. So you, Jeff made the point that he built it on system, not players. One could also argue the four Hall of Famers he had on his team at one time helped build his team. Has anyone ever won without a Hall of Famer? At least one? You the might Pistons. say the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> um, you might say Detroit Pistons when Chauncey Billups was on there that might be that yes yeah we'll i don't see. know chauncey Billups. no i don't think so so that that might be the only team to be honest <laughs> i other than that i i can't think of a team that's ever won without a hall of famer but yeah and let's not forget his uh baa playoff record also losing under 500 Sorry, not losing. No, is losing. 89. I'm sorry. Playoff record BAA under 500. Um, so before he even made it to the NBA, he couldn't cut it as a winner. One could say his situation helped him. Draft picks helped him. In the league that was weaker, with less talent, helped him. So, I mean, again, He's a trailblazer. He made the way for coaches nowadays to coach the way they coach. The idea of smoking a cigar in the locker room, I don't know if you knew this, Jeff, it's because of Red. 
which, you know, has nothing to do with basketball, but this is things that he did. But so when we keep it basketball on the court, on that bench, what you do as a coach and as your team, he just falls short. A trailblazer doesn't mean you're the best. A pioneer doesn't mean you're best. It just means you're important. You are important to the game of basketball. You are a figurehead, monument, a relic, not the greatest. And with that, Jeff, I will leave it to you. And I'll just say this one more time. 70% winning. Never under 500. Never missing the playoffs. Ever. All right, Dan, you made some good points. And, you know, I'm going to start off my rebuttal in the same way that you did. I'm going to say something nice about the person that I am not plugging here. Look, Phil Jackson, yeah, the guy was called the Zen master for a reason. He had to manage so many difficult personalities and be able to get them on the same page to be able to win. We know from the last dance how hard that was. We got to see a little bit behind the scenes, especially when it came to, you know, seeing even what Jordan and Pippen and how that dynamic was behind the scenes. Dennis Rodman was such an issue. San Antonio didn't want to deal with him and they cast him off, even with that incredible talent. So yeah, I have nothing bad to say about Phil as a management guy, but we're talking about NBA coach and a coach is someone that assembles a team, puts together a system and wins. And all of those things from the ground up, Red did, and Phil did not. So let me go through some points just to illustrate that. Dan, I want to start off with stats. I'm just going to make a light point on this. You mentioned that let's just go based on numbers and Red has higher numbers. That's great, but come on. Let's, let's also consider, like you said, the time period. We know that the NBA was very different in the 1950s and, 50s and 60s compared to the way they were in the 1990s and early 2000s. Red coached only a certain amount of time and walked away from the game. If he had stayed longer, would he have won more championships with the arc that was going on? One could say, yeah, probably. On top of that, NBA seasons were shorter. So the ability to put up the same winning percentages that Phil had is not the same because you're dealing with 50 to 60 games a season as opposed to 82 games a season. So, of course, that's going to help in terms of padding the stats, as you said, wasn't really an equal playing field in that regard. And on top of that, and I'm going to go to this point, Red, again, built these things from the ground up. You mentioned about the Hall of Famers he had. Yeah, he benefited from them, but he built them. He didn't get them. And that's the difference. Phil was a good manager. The coaching part, he had a lot of help with. So let's go through that real quick, all right? Bill Jackson really did not have any part in assembling the rosters that won his championships. He inherited them. Now you could say he managed what he inherited well, but you can't say that he built it. And that's a big part of coaching. Jerry Krause built those Bills teams and whoever did it for the Lakers <laughs> built the other teams. can't remember his name. Um, the Bulls before Phil Jackson stepped in the year before Phil Jackson stepped in. Do you know what the record was for the Chicago Bulls, Dan? They had won 50 plus games and they made it to the conference finals. That's the situation that Phil stepped into when he took over the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. On top of that, they already had Jordan and Pippen. Jordan was already established as one of the great players in the game. There was, there was no mystery here of what Phil was inheriting. That's one. It was the same thing when he took over the Lakers in 1999, the year before they had won 61 games, man, they already had Kobe in his prime. They still had an all-star Shaquille O'Neal. He's getting microwave teams here in a way. There's no, there's no effort here in terms of assembling the talent, grinding it out. You mentioned Red, those seven years of not winning a championship. He had to take these 20 and 21-year-old guys and build them up and get them together and fill out the roster, which was nothing when he started to create that championship team. I can't say the same for Phil. On top of that, Phil, and you mentioned this, and I give you credit for that because I wasn't sure if you were going to go there. We always line up Phil with being the, the guy who invented the triangle offense. That's great. Again, should we give him a lot of credit for how well that system worked? 
because it was a guy named Tex Winter who was actually the architect of that system. He was on the Bulls before um, Phil even got there, and he had been trying to institute the system. Now, to Phil's credit, he let it run, and he allowed the system to flourish under his watch, but it's not like he was the genius that came up with this strategy, unlike Red Arbuck, who pioneered fast-break offense and high-defensive strategy pressure tactics. That's Red. We can't say the same for Phil when it comes to triangle offense. And just as a, an added note here, Dan, when Jackson took over the Lakers, guess who was his assistant coach? Called up Tex Winners. So who was managing the triangle offense in LA? It was his trusted assistant again. So look, overall, Phil Jackson is the Steve Jobs of NBA coaches. He can oversee an organization and he can bring it all together but he didn't build it. And that's the difference. And that's what a coach should be graded on. Uh, any other points I want to make? You could look at the Knicks under Jackson once he finally got the reins of being able to build a roster or let's, what a dumpster let, fire let's that was. Let, let, let's separate management and coaching. All right, all right. I'm just, you know, strike that from the record. Fine. That's fair. Uh but Dana, I'm going to leave you with one last question. This is the final thing I'm going to say in my rebuttal. Can you tell the fans at home, uh, what is the name of the award that we give the coach of the year every year in the NBA? What's that? What's that name? Don't be annoying. <laughs> the red Arbuck trophy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was named after him for the, not just the most consecutive wins, but at the time, the most wins so it was it was actually more named from her having the most wins even though that was surpassed it was named that's why it was named yes so and yeah i mean you just need to separate management and coaching obviously phil um you said phil's a good manager he's not when he went to new york we know what that was like <laughs> So no, he wasn't a good manager. So strike that from the record, guys. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, Red had had complete control, and in some ways, that's an advantage because then you can build it completely from the ground up. So some people can do that. Yeah, I don't think and, Phil has that skill. Well, Red, I I I would give that to Red all day. He had a vision, and you know, I'm not in no way trying to knock Red. Let's just make this clear. Um, even though I really poked at him, I am not trying to knock him. Like Jeff said, the, the award is named after him for a reason. And he did something that to this day is not easy to do with a better, more talented league. Um, it, it's not because he managed and coached. We see that fail time and time again. We see Doc Rivers fail. He couldn't get over the hump. You know, we, we see it fail all the time um, and he did it. Um, and he's the first of that. It's a lot in today's NBA. And we do have to keep that in mind. You know, we're dealing with different decades, but I guess back to the point, the topic for the show, the greatest NBA coach of all time. So you've heard Dan's arguments for Phil Jackson. You've heard mine for Red Arbach. We're going to give you the opportunity to let us know who you think made the stronger argument and who you think is the greatest NBA coach of all time. So we would invite you to follow us on social media. We're going to put the poll up the same day this goes live and we look forward to your feedback and to your votes. And so we can see how this came out just before we close up, Dan, real quick. Can you talk to us a little bit about how people can connect with us? Yeah, man, you guys can connect through Instagram and Facebook right now and YouTube if you want to see us, if you want to see what our ugly faces look like. Um, my unshaved, bald, aging self and Jeff's magical hair. Um, I'm telling you guys right now, he's had the same hair since grade school. And for someone who's lost his hair, I am jelly for sure but yeah no instagram facebook or you our youtube will be up uh, make sure you guys vote um support us um and tell us you know what you guys want to see what debates you want to hear um well we always have we have tons of ideas but obviously we want to give you guys what you want and no sport is out of range if you want us to debate cricket which i don't think you do um we'll debate cricket you know yeah um, we'll do we'll do curling we'll do anything man just, yeah you know. yeah you know just 
um, anything you guys want, just let us know. Um, we listen, we hear, and we'll, we'll definitely do do what you guys want to hear. Absolutely. The the account handle that you can find us on for Facebook and Instagram and YouTube is at Goat Sports Pod. That's Goat Sports Pod. And again, our email, which you can find us on, it's very simple, goatpodcast at hotmail.com. So we look Hot forward to your, to your feedback. We want to meet the people that are listening. So connect with us. And, and before we close, and before you go and make your uh, vote, who won, just real quick, Dan and I, we got a lot going on. You know, we, we've got a lot of irons in the fire in addition to our nine to five jobs. So um, to give you a chance to connect with us more, Dan, do you have anything you want to talk about? Anything you are currently doing where people can get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, uh, for sure. Like I told you guys earlier, I'm a big fitness and health, not me and my wife. Um, so we have our own business called ECT Fitness, Endurance Cross Training Fitness. Um, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook or we, we TikTok um, or you can email us uh, at fitness at gmail.com if you want help or points. Um, we do personal training, both virtual and um, if you are in the Maryland area, we do um, at person training also um so that's what we do um we love doing it so if you guys need help tips or anything like that we are your people me and my wife so yeah that's what we we got going on how about yourself jeff what you got going on so you know podcasting is something i'm doing a lot these days i have another show that i do on the side outside of work it's called rounders a history of baseball in america it's a weekly podcast that discusses baseball history and its impact on american culture and we cover a wide range of topics it's it's been something i've been working on since 2018 i think we're 30 episodes in we go over everything from the origin of the baseball to talking about players who met untimely deaths oh. to you know weird occurrences in baseball like you know fans behaving badly or players that made a big impact on the game my most recent guest actually came on and talked about the use during the 1920s of teams keeping good luck charms human good luck charms on oh, each man. professional team like they would put them in suitcases and carry them with them if they had like a hunched back or oh, that's like a, a you know like a birthmark on their eye you know things like that superstition in baseball so you know even interviews with austin's it's a great time so i would invite you if you like podcasts and you like sports and you like this follow my other podcast it's called rounders you can just type in rounders and i'll come up uh, on any podcast platform that you're currently using Hey, you uh, discussed the Red Sox uh, Yankees rivalry? Not yet. That's in the Come pipeline. on, man. We 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 New Englanders, man. Come on. I did I did the Green Monster. That was a good episode. Yeah, like man. talking about that. It's on oh. the list. Listen. And I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that I send it to you as soon as I do. So <laughs> it's so weird. I just hear someone from New York and automatically I don't like them. It's the first thing I think about. It's a Yankee. Yeah. Then I get to know them. Then I can like them after that. But it's just the whole Yankee thing, man. <laughs> I know we grew up in that era, man. The, the yeah. blood runs deep. So if we have Yankees fans listening, I guess we'll take you, you know, yeah, we'll take you. We'll take you just, you know, root for the Knicks or something. Go next yeah. or the Mets, you know, not the Yankees. Oh gosh. Anyways, folks, thank you so much for tuning in for this episode. And we hope to have you on our next one. And it's been a pleasure, Dan. Thanks yeah, for the debate. So. Yeah. Anytime, anytime guys, remember vote for Daniel. <laughs> or vote for Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time, everybody. All Take right, care. Guys.